It's the early 2000s. I was in middle school. And like most middle schoolers in the early 2000s, I remember logging into MSN Messenger to chat with friends. The Messenger had these little stickers you could send to each other, little images with sound. I was chatting with a friend of mine when he sent me this particular image with Chinese characters and happy-looking cartoons on it. The audio that came with it said Jiao, and when I hovered over the sticker, it spelled out Jiao in pinyin, which is basically phonetic translation for Mandarin sounds. As a 13-year-old, I had no idea what Jiao meant. It would be years later that I finally found out what it was. Jiao is a Mandarin phrase meaning add oil. In Cantonese, it's gaiao. The phrase is used to cheer others on. If you want to think of people as cars, you have to add oil to keep things moving. At least that's how I've always thought of it. It's interesting to point out that this particular phrase was something I didn't recognize because it was in Mandarin. My family speaks mostly Cantonese, which is its own language. Cantonese is not a Mandarin dialect or accent, like a southern accent in the U.S. I don't speak Cantonese well, and I definitely don't speak Mandarin. I realize there's some confusion on my part, on what can be Cantonese or Vietnamese sometimes. Growing up in a multi-language household, there was bound to be some mixture, but ultimately it was hard to make sense sometimes if what you know is actually a word or just a blend of everything. I've told my sister and some friends that I wanted to become more proficient in Cantonese, but I wasn't sure how to get started. There are more resources online now than there were when I was younger, but the range of skills are so drastic. It feels like the lessons are either for small kids starting out or for those that can read Chinese. Oscar-winning story artist Pearl Lowe started a project called Cantonese Connection to journal and to help others who want to learn the Cantonese language. When learning Cantonese, I think there's this sort of pressure to get it right or to like be perfect. And if you make a mistake, you'll be laughed at, or you'll be like, "Ah,、oh, you don't know how to speak Cantonese. Like, I'm not gonna like even bother with you." But in this space, I'm like, it's cool. We are just laid back. It's a low pressure environment. Like, we're just here to try our best. Pearl is a non-binary Jamaican Chinese artist from Vancouver, British Columbia. Pearl wasn't able to learn Cantonese from their family at a young age, so Pearl chose to go to a Cantonese language school. They thought it'd be a good way to learn, but Pearl was discouraged when they found out the classes were for those that already knew the language and wanted to learn to read and write. I asked Pearl to come on the show to share more of their story and why they started Cantonese Connection. So I wanted to talk to you about your project, Cantonese Connection.、Uh, could you tell me a bit more about that? Yes. So it's a very new platform that I've recently started, but I have been thinking about for many years now. And it is a platform designed to create a space for myself, but for others as well who. Kind of live at these intersections, or exist at these intersections of being Cantonese and something else and something else. Just because I'm personally a black person, but also a Cantonese person, also a queer person, and also an artist, and I wanted to create a safe space for beginners to learn Cantonese and to make mistakes and to kind of. Exist in their personhood without having to feel alienated by the process of learning Cantonese. Yeah, that's that's really amazing. I speak Cantonese, but one, I have a slight Vietnamese accent, and two, I don't speak speak it very well because I don't have a lot of chances to practice, and so I'm actually really interested in the project. And being part of it, and maybe some speaking partners. Heck yeah! <laughs> There was a blog post that you posted, and you did a drawing. And at the end of it, it was saying that、um, not every Chinese person looks the same. 
or is the same. Yes. And I think that's kind of the route that I wanted to go for everyone that's listening. There's so many people at different intersections, as you said, and, you know, having Chinese as their heritage and language is part of that. And having this project connecting people is very wonderful. And, you know, when you were younger, I saw that you went to Chinese school. I did. I attempted for one year to attend Chinese school. I, it was at a point in my life where I was asking a lot. I was asking my popo, my gong gong, and my mom a lot uh, to teach me Cantonese, and neither of them had the tools or the energy, capacity, many things, <laughs> to teach me Cantonese. And so I thought, okay, well, a solution is Chinese school, right? And at that age, I feel like, like in elementary school, a lot of um, Cantonese friends of mine were going to Chinese school. So I thought that was the most accessible and the most common route to go. I'm like, okay, so let me try to enroll in Chinese school. And and once I did, I realized that it wasn't catered towards folks who didn't know Cantonese at all. It was catered towards kids who already knew how to speak the language and were coming to these classes to learn how to read and write. So sitting in on the classes, I literally 80% of the time, I was like, I have no idea what is happening. I am trying to fill in the blanks um, of what the teacher is saying. And I did a lot of, you know, repetitive character writing and I learned simple Chinese characters where I'm like, ah, this is mountain and this is how you write friend and like those things I now know as an adult uh, because of that. But learning how to actually fundamentally speak Cantonese was not something that I was able to do or to learn. So I uh, I definitely dropped out because <laughs> I was like, I'm not I'm not getting anywhere. Yeah, because for me, there weren't that many uh, opportunities to have Chinese classes here in Reno. So when I was younger, I really wanted to go to Chinese school because my cousins in Sacramento had one and they were learning the language. However, um, I guess teaching resources for Cantonese was uh, smaller than it is for Mandarin. And that's what we were learning. My parents happened to talk with a family friend and they knew someone that was teaching a volunteer class at the community college. And here I am, a 11-year-old in a classroom full of like four, five-year-olds and I was quite older and I was trying to learn like the building blocks and the language and how to write it. Um, did you have a similar thing where you went back to the language? So in 2018, um, I had seen um, YCC, Youth Collaborative for Chinatown. It's a nonprofit organization based in Vancouver's Chinatown. And they were doing Saturday school classes uh, for learning Cantonese for adults. And I decided to join because I was like, why not? Like, this is actually a class catered to adults and not like just a bunch of younger kids and like you having to sit in on a, on a class for younger kids. So it was nice to... To see that as an option. And so I joined and um, I think that was the first restart, like the first moment where I decided to restart my Cantonese learning journey. After that, I decided to take a course at um, Langara College in Vancouver. I'm originally from Vancouver, BC, if you haven't, <laughs> if, you, if I haven't said. So I took university courses at Langara College uh, with a Hong Kong teacher. And that was about it for my formal training. Afterwards, because of busy schedule things and just life, lifing, I decided to take learning uh, Cantonese on my own time and at my own pace and kind of using apps more than formal training and like academic spaces. Have you found these resources to be pretty helpful or are you having a struggle to kind of find one that fits what you need? 
I think it's helpful. I think what is the hardest is to kind of find your own flow with all of these fragmented pieces and resources on Cantonese because when you're in a classroom, like you have, you know, something that's already put together for you and you have this curriculum that you are following. And with independent study, I think it's always generally just harder to structure yourself just because anything could happen, anything could be there for you, but you do want to try to have something that is relatively structured. So I'm still trying to figure out my own flow with the types of apps and the types of dictionaries I'm using and also trying to incorporate because Cantonese is such an orally like passed down language and like it's essential that you practice with somebody to get tones right and also context right to also try to incorporate incorporate somebody uh, like a speaking buddy like you mentioned earlier into the process because in a classroom you have classmates and you have the teacher but when you're on your own you're gonna have to try to do all those types of things um, for yourself yeah because um, I can practice with like my younger sister but it's not quite the same half the time she's like insulting me and saying it sounds weird or wrong and it's kind of a more dismissive <laughs> environment um, if I wanted to speak. So I think it's kind of great to have a judgment-free zone. So have you heard from people in Cantonese Connection and what has it meant for them? Yeah, I've actually had a really beautiful response to the launching of the platform more than I anticipated. I think there are were more folks than I thought who resonated with kind of being in a space of I've been off and on learning Cantonese and I've stopped for a while and I feel discouraged sometimes trying to like retry like all of these things that I've already tried before. And so I've been getting a lot of um, feedback from folks of like all demographics, all ages and all different types of backgrounds too. Like even like Malaysian Cantonese folks or um, non-white Cantonese mixed people specifically. So just like all these different folks, folks above like 50 years old, like people everywhere on the spectrum have been responding that they really are happy that they have a place to come to and like look at resources and to just like comment or read a blog or have kind of um, a reference point of like, there's someone who's also a beginner and who's doing this too, who's learning, relearning Cantonese too, because I think a lot of them also expressed that when learning Cantonese, I think there's this sort of pressure to get it right or to like be perfect. And if you make mistakes, um, you'll be laughed at or you'll be like, ah, oh, you don't know how to speak Cantonese. Like, I'm not gonna like even bother with you. But in this space, I'm like, it's cool. We are just laid back. It's a low pressure environment. Like we're just here to try our best. So on the front page, I do have like Gayao just being like, just try your best. Like we're just all trying our best. So yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think it's great that you mentioned Gayo. Um, for those that don't know what Gayo means, it means add oil. Um, kind of like a cheer for, you know, rooting somebody on. You're raised in Canada, but you're in the U.S. now. How does your experience fit in with the overall Canadian-American story? It's interesting. So I recently moved to Los Angeles, so I'm still definitely learning about the vibe of LA and the histories of LA as well in the context also of Cantonese settlers here on um, Tongva lands. And in Vancouver, I feel like 
there are parallels like between like the city and Vancouver where Chinese settlers came really early on, like 1800s. Um, my great grandfather came to Vancouver in like the 30s, I think, the late 30s, uh, 1930s. And um, just like seeing the parallels of immigrants coming to search for work and obviously being discriminated against, laws literally passed so they don't, <laughs> they aren't able to vote or they were forced to live in Chinatown, which is, you know, all the histories of Chinatown kind of have the same vibe of like Chinese people weren't allowed to exist except for inside of Chinatown. And it's interesting as well to experience the differences navigating different Chinatowns in Vancouver. I would say that it's changing, but there usually are more Cantonese-speaking folks. I think now that more people are immigrating from the rest of China instead of southern China, there are more Mandarin speakers. So that's kind of adding into the mix of different folks um, who are running these shops, who are shopping, who are around. But in Vancouver's Chinatown, I feel like I obviously stood out a lot more. <laughs> um, and there's this kind of gatekeeping that I experienced in Vancouver with not being believed that I belong to the culture that I belong to. And so speaking Cantonese or going shopping and asking for certain types of items, whether they're herbs from the herbal shop or this kind of like toy that I want, like the certain vegetable that I want, and always being like, why do you want this? Only Chinese people eat this. Or how come you speak Cantonese? I don't understand. Or, And it was weird because when the pandemic kicked in and I wore masks, people believed me more that I was Chinese because they couldn't see the rest of my face. So I was like, wow, this is what it feels like to not be questioned every single time I speak Cantonese. That's nice. Also, this sucks. <laughs> so that was one thing. But coming here to LA, I don't know if it's just because of the different demographics that exist here and the different types of folks who have frequented Chinatown in LA, that the shops that I've been to and I've spoken Cantonese in, they've just been like, okay, yeah, whatever. Like, go with the flow. Like, it feels like I can exist both in the Black and Cantonese space specifically, and it's nice. It's it's a nice change. So that's what I'm finding out so far. It's still early, early days. Um, but yeah. <laughs> can you talk more about that? Um, you said you identify as Black, Cantonese, queer, and an artist. Like, how do you kind of navigate your identity with all of that? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I find that in Vancouver, I've always had to interact with my communities differently. Like, I didn't see a lot of inter-community mingling between the Black and Cantonese communities specifically in Vancouver. So I always kind of just like existed in them separately. But I'm hoping that being down here, I'm able to exist more in both because having to separate and being like, okay, now I'm in this mode. Okay, so I'm talking to these aunties in Cantonese and this is who I am and this is what I low-key code switch into to sometimes like have like an interaction that's not traumatizing or harmful and I would like to not have to do that all the time it was interesting when I was here visiting like a coffee shop in Inglewood so outside of Chinatown it was a black owned coffee shop and I can't remember the name of it but I was wearing a jacket that was part of a custom Changsam that I had made for Lunar New Year last year that I decided to wear this year because I do not believe in having to buy a new outfit just to be lucky but I wore it again and the cashier was like oh happy Lunar New Year and I was like oh my god, thank you so much. And it was just nice to have someone who was Black address that like, oh, you must be Asian too. Like, 
happy lunar new year and i was like this is amazing because i feel like in vancouver i would just get stares like why are you wearing that jacket kind of thing so i feel like navigating has always been you know with any kind of racially centered interaction it's dependent on your environment and it really dictates how much space that i can take up in different ways versus like oh actually the folks here are a little bit more close-minded or there's some gatekeeping going on here so i have to kind of move myself through these different kind of spaces um in order to exist and it kind of sucks because it's not ideal but sometimes you get nice surprises where you're seen as like everything that you are and I'm like oh my god we love being seen this is great (laughs) (laughs) yeah I think it's great that you're able to at least have those experiences because yeah it's very taxing to have that kind of juggle different parts of you right so going back to the quote I mentioned earlier uh, that all Chinese people aren't the same Uh, can you explain a little bit more about that and why you decided to make it yeah so I made that illustration that I included in the blog post two years ago, and I think it was at a time where I was thinking about studying Cantonese a little bit more seriously. This is me every time I I pick up Cantonese. I'm like, all right, this time I'm studying it more seriously. But in 2020, I feel like I had this inspirational kind of like boost where I was like, okay, this year is going to be the year. So I was doing a bunch of comics in Yuping and people really responded to me making comics in Cantonese, but without Chinese characters. So it was more accessible for more people. And one of the illustrations, uh, one of the comics that I did included the um, illustration of the not all Chinese people are the same. So that's just been in my in my archives, and I decided to make a blog post kind of expanding on that thought, on Cantonese connection. And I think it's also part of my, part of me wants to just expand the definition of what it's like to be a Cantonese person, because it's just so diverse. Like, being Cantonese is so diverse there are folks in southeast asia east asia australia canada like there's no way we're gonna all look like one cantonese person so yeah so i decided to write a blog post about it and i think yeah most of the responses have been (laughs) positive which i've been glad because it doesn't help us especially when we're as a community wanting to spread cantonese as a language and have people take interest in learning their heritage or relearning their heritage. It's not encouraging when there's a very narrow definition of who can participate in that process. So that's how I feel anyway. So I just want to continue to be like, by the way, there are different people who exist in this community and that is okay and it's normal. So what does it mean to you to exist in your personhood and kind of exist as who you are? I feel like that's a really big question. And I think about it a lot, actually, because sometimes it's tiring because it's like you exist in all these different types of ways and your literal existence is super political, even though you're just trying to chill and like live life. But one thing I really value, and this is something that has been relatively new for me, maybe since 2017, um, when I decided to start working with Vancouver's Chinatown and working with more nonprofit groups to like foster community and talk about like 
what it means to be like together and what it means to be part of a collective. I feel like I've valued community much more ever since that time. And like me and my identities, I often look at as tools to help build community because I also believe in the art of storytelling and sharing yourself and what you believe in, especially in a positive way, (laughs) is always really nice to do to build community. And I want to try to continue to do that just by sharing myself. And I think that was part of another reason why I created Cantonese Connection, because I really believe that just seeing someone exist like as who they are and saying things out loud like I am black and I am Chinese and blah blah out loud and having people like how can I say having people say that back to you as well is also something that like really validates like wow me like my existence like you see me as these things because I know I am these things but you know it's nice to have friends and community mirror that back to you so kind of going back to being seen You mentioned that you're queer and you're non-binary, correct? Mm -hmm. Yes. Do you ever run into issues while learning the language with, like, having anything particularly gendered in the language that you've come across? So, so far, it's interesting because the concept of gender is very real in Cantonese culture. Like, boys do this, girls do this, women act this way, men act this way. But in the language... When you address somebody, instead of saying like he, she, her, whatever, it's just kar. Like everybody is kar. Even like a thing is kar. It. So I really enjoy that when someone is addressing me, that it's just automatically like not specific <laughs> gender wise. And that's what I, I appreciate about Cantonese versus like, say, English. But because I'm a beginner, I haven't run into as many, you know, circumstances as somebody who's fluent in Cantonese and can give more background on the gendered language of Cantonese. But so far, I feel like it's been good. I have run into things where I've wondered what language to use for a partner instead of like wife or husband or boyfriend, girlfriend or stuff like that. But those are things that I'm going to have to ask community members about because I I do not know. (laughs) Was there anything else that you would want to talk about with the project or maybe future projects that you hope to work on? Mm, I guess where I would like Cantonese Connection to go is to, I don't know, I guess expand to kind of like a community space. I don't know if community center is quite the word, but something as expansive as that where you can just go and see the resource page. I would love it to be more of an archive kind of thing, an archive database kind of search engine versus just like, here's a page and here's all the podcasts listed on the page. It would be nice to have like a searchable database, but that will take time, obviously. (laughs) And um, it would be nice to also host gatherings, I think, like Cantonese Connection, like gatherings in different places around the States and even in the world, because there are folks who are outside of America who also follow the platform talking with a friend who lives also in LA. Uh, They were saying they have a hard time finding community members just because of the nature of LA as well. Everything's really widespread and it's hard to get places, especially if you do not have a car. But if events were to happen, that would be really fun to just, hey, let's meet up at a park and it's a Cantonese connection potluck. And we can just meet people, even if we don't all speak Cantonese, who just look like us and have the same cultural reference points and who don't have the same cultural reference points. I think that's also really cool to just chat and 
and exchange um, vibes <laughs> in a casual way <laughs> to say. Do you hope to bring Cantonese connection into your work or your career? It would be nice. I have been thinking lately about publishing more books, uh, specifically children's illustrated books, kids' books, and I would like to write stories, including Yuping, and then at the back of the books, having like a little dictionary or like a little, what do you call it, index of all the different types of words that were used in the book. And I would like it to also be more of a like bilingual kind of situation because I think a lot of us growing up outside of Hong Kong or outside of a predominantly Cantonese environment, I think that bilingualism is something that we experience so much of and that's how we also learn too. So it would be nice to create art that incorporates our experience. So what is the significance of storytelling to you and how do you feel that stories make a difference or if they don't? Yeah, no, stories absolutely do make a difference. And I feel storytelling is essential for community building. And one of the things I love about storytelling is that when you talk about your own stories and who you are as a person, other people can read it or watch it or listen and say, oh, that's me too. And I think that's really powerful in building bridges with one another. And storytelling can come in so many different ways as well. Like right, you know, right here in a podcast or in film or in books. And I think that especially in Cantonese communities. I think also with like immigrants and kids of immigrants saying, oh, you know, like art is a hobby. It's not a real profession and don't do it as a job. I, I would like to encourage people to value the art of storytelling a lot more because having conversations like this is how people feel less isolated and feel more empowered in their personhood. So I feel like it's storytelling is essential. <laughs> That was my conversation with Pearl Lowe, artist and author behind Cantonese Connection. You can learn more at CantoneseConnection.com. Pearl also worked on animated shows for Netflix, Sony Pictures Animation, and Cartoon Network. You can learn more about Pearl and see their work at PearlLow.com. That's PearlLow.com. There are links to Pearl's social media there as well. For more information on this episode and the series, head to PBSReno.org slash RefugeesDaughter and a special thank you to Pearl for joining the show. Subscribe to Refugee's Daughter wherever you listen to podcasts and give the show a rating and review. I'm Christina Lee, and thanks for listening. This episode was written by Christina Lee with production help from Divergent Point Media. Refugee's Daughter is a presentation of PBS Reno.